I've noticed things kind of like with clothing, the same thing happens with houses. But right now I'm seeing my kids dress a lot like I did in the 80s. Oh, so my it's goodness. kind of come full circle. <laughs> you know, I had my uh, 12-year-old just try to explain grunge to me. <laughs> Um, I am a child of the 90s, and so yes, I see that a lot of this stuff is coming back. Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes. Sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. In this episode, we talk about the psychology of design with Utah architect Jamie Walker of Walker Homes. He tells us about the many ways you can design your home to make life simpler and more enjoyable for the whole family. If you're listening to this podcast, you already know that a home is so much more than a roof and four walls. It's your daily launch pad for achieving your goals. And whether that means adding a coffee station in the closet for easier mornings and smoother days or possibly building a light-filled exercise room that is inviting and motivates you to reach your health and fitness goals. And Melody, you know what our, you know, I guess slogan is at Hibbs Homes, right? Oh, building dreams one home at a time. (laughs) And that's really what we do. And this is going to be a fun show. I love the title that you came up with, uh, The Psychology of Happy Home Design. Tell me more about that. Your house is really, it's where you start your day, where you end your day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're going through and working with people to design their homes, it's really about helping them fulfill their goals. I mean, like you said, day-to-day goals, you know, making your mornings easier, Mm -hmm. you know, that makes your week easier and you're just, you're freed up to really achieve those dreams and those goals that don't necessarily involve your space. You know, it's, I have time to think about this or that or the other. And so really happiness starts at home. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, we really wanted to talk to some folks who had an insight and a background on, you know, what does make a happy home? And the person that we're going to talk to today, he not only knows how to make a home happy, but he knows how to make the home building process happy, we understand, right? He really does. We're talking about Jamie Walker with Walker Homes in uh, in the Salt Lake City area. But he has a terrific um, library of floor plans and elevations on his website that you can look at and get inspired. We'll talk more about Jamie here in a couple minutes. But when you were you were just talking about the experience of how important the home is. And it made me think of two, th- two separate things. Number one is that's kind of the beauty of building a custom home versus a production home. Production homes are more, I say like manufactured homes. They're built on site, but you have many, many, many homes being built in a subdivision, whereas a custom home is a one-off home. You know, it's truly being built for the family and, and their needs. Um, That's number one. And number two is you really, if you're going to build a custom home, you really need to think about how you live in your home every minute of the day and think about those little touches that will make the difference when you're living in that home. Well, and you live in a custom home. Yes. You live in the original Hibs home. Mm -hmm. And I live in a production home. And I know that we're constantly reimagining our space. I mean, we're so consumed with, you know, trying to make this home fit us. And I feel like that's, we have these clients who come in and they know exactly how they're going to be using it day to day. Amy Desart, I just loved her entire home. You could tell it was designed around 
hanging out with her friends. And that home actually won Custom Home of the Year. And there were entertaining spaces were the center of the home. And I just thought it was such a neat way to approach the design. And we hear so many cool features in these homes because people are like, oh, well, you know, my day-to-day is important, so we need to have separate his and hers bathrooms. I think we're designing a home like that right now. Mm-hmm. So. It happens frequently. I will I will be sitting in my home, inside, outside, wherever, and think about this is the perfect home for me and my family. It really is. And and I hope that, that everybody gets to experience that at, at some point. Uh, you mentioned Amy DeSart. We built her a home two or three years ago in the in the greater St. Louis area. She's been a guest on our podcast, one of our favorite guests, I might add. But I remember working with her during the design phase, and she truly, she travels all over the country and had two or three pictures and some some pieces of art that, that she really wanted to showcase in her house. So even during the design phase with uh, Jim Bolesky, Bolesky Architects in the St. Louis area, even when she was working with, with Jim, she wanted to make sure that she had a place to showcase those pictures and the artwork. And so it was very intentional. It was very purposeful. But that kind of goes back to why we love what we do is building a custom home is those little touches that you get to, to you know, build into each home. But on the flip side, people do wonder why is building a custom home more expensive than a production home? It's a lot of those little details that take time. They take effort by the, by the trades. They take materials. But that's the reason, because we're truly building that custom home. Now, our homes have to appraise out, so they're being compared with other custom homes or other homes in the area. So it's not like you can't build an affordable custom home, but it does cost more than a production home, and they will appraise out. It's just a different way of going about things. That's why we do love the architects we work with. Very talented group. And Jamie Walker from Salt Lake City is one of them. And Jamie's one of the architects that we work with in Utah that he has designed some really cool custom spaces. Um, I love his kids' rooms that he's done. He has them on his website as well. Um, But he really has a lot of ideas on how to build a joyful, happy home. Jamie, great to have you back with us. How are uh, everything going in Salt Lake City these days? great everybody's building it's uh, a good time to build in utah you know it's interesting that you mentioned that because we're going to dive deeply into the psychology behind design in just a couple of minutes but i was reading earlier today in the enterprise which is uh, a business journal for the uh, the state of utah i saw some of these existing home prices and it just floored me the appreciation that's taken place since the pandemic Prices are up 65.7% in two years in the Provo area. In the Salt Lake City area, Jamie, they're up 56.2%. Boise, it's about 550000 is the average price. That's a 57% jump. The price in the Ogden area, the average price is about $500,000. That just blew my mind when I read these numbers and, and saw the jumps because I know that we're facing kind of the same thing when it comes to new construction. New construction pricing is up a minimum of 40% all across the country. And yet you just told me that, that the building boom continues in Utah. Is that right? Yep. Uh, people are still building. It's interesting. We're seeing a lot of people moving in from out of state where prices are even higher and they're getting a better value here in Utah. The Utah market itself If you're from Utah, it's become a struggle for a lot of people living here wanting the prices they saw 10 years ago. Like we uh, 
had a client come back that had purchased a plan from us and built and came back thinking prices were going to be similar to what they were 10 years ago and they were pretty shocked at what we were telling them it was going to cost to build so if you lived here you're going to be a little upset if you're moving here from california or arizona or new york or back east somewhere then the prices here are 30 to 60 percent less than what you're seeing in those parts of the country so that's something that will kind of justify the continuing i guess boom in residential construction in the northern utah and actually all throughout the state of utah it's frustrating for some and pleasantly nice for others that are moving here uh we're seeing a lot of the locals that are wanting to do something are ending up remodeling their home but we see that dance a lot of times between the percentage of rate that you're getting from lenders versus the cost of materials and labor so when the rates go up and the cost of materials go up then people tend to remodel more and build new construction less we also see townhomes and multifamily type product tends to go up when building single family goes down. So if you're diversified as a builder, you just kind of go with the flow on what to build. Well, I know that the design of your home impacts the cost of your home as well. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk a lot about today. Do you think that some of this has to do with like the long runs with because of more open floor plans or is it really truly the comes down to the cost of materials well i think there's a lot of truth to all of that i think a lot of architects don't pay attention to the cost of materials and some builders also don't pay attention to that and they just build what it costs to build and don't look at the science behind efficiency and so they can easily get trapped in that area. The builders that really see a lot of success though, really hone in on what material sizes the products are that we buy and try to build their homes around those sizes. Kim's probably heard me talk about the size of carpet. When I was in high school, I, I laid carpet a lot and it comes in 12 foot rolls. And so I would, as I grew up, design homes that were 12 feet wide or having rooms that were 12 feet wide and knowing that plywood and drywall comes in four by eight sheets, four by 10 sheets for drywall. When you start designing around those sizes of materials, your homes naturally be, become more efficient. We've done 10,000 square foot custom homes that only used one dumpster during the whole project because of how efficient that was. And so if you can save $100 here, 200 there, 1,000, 500, it starts to add up. And a lot of times builders tell us our plans are bidding out for 100000 less than some of our competitors just by keeping that in mind. You know, Jamie, you're absolutely right about that. And that's one of the reasons we do so very thoroughly enjoy working with you is because you do pay attention to the details. And I know that that's what our clients appreciate about us as well as we're actively involved in the design phase. We try to refer them to architects like you who really understand that measurements matter. And when you put that team together, when you're working together, you know what the budget is, you truly can have a, a happy experience. And, and speaking of that, the, uh, really the title of today's show, Jamie, is The Psychology of Happy Home Design. And the reason Melody put that title to it is there really is a psychology behind designing a home. And what we want to talk to you about is how that psychology changes over the years. It morphs over the years. There's lots of different thought that go into the design process, and we thought you would be the perfect person to help us with this because you're kind of a student of architecture, aren't you? 
Well, yeah, I don't know if I'm perfect at it, though. <laughs> well, you're pretty close. So one of the things that I have always heard is that over time, art and the architecture around you is kind of a reaction to what's going on in the world, right? Um, So we noticed that a lot of people, even here in St. Louis, which tends to have a more traditional and conservative approach to architecture, over the last few years, the demand for these clean lines and really modern, straight surfaces has increased. And um, I was wondering, you know, having just read that and not being a student of architecture, how much truth is there in that maybe that's a reaction to kind of all the the ups and downs and chaos around us? That's interesting. I, I see things in a kind of a circular pattern. Designing homes for about 30 years and being involved in design of homes and a fan of architecture for 45 years, I've noticed things kind of like with clothing, the same thing happens with houses. Uh, Right now I'm seeing my kids dress a lot like I did in the 80s. So it's kind of come full circle. (laughs) And I see this with homes. Uh, People go through phases and they get tired of it and they try something new and then they get tired of that and they try something new and then pretty soon, either by the time they're designing their final home when they've lived in four or five, they've come back to kind of the beginning, but they've learned a lot of things through all those different experiences so that it's a better version of the original one. You know, I had my uh, 12-year-old just try to explain grunge to me. (laughs) Um, I am a child of the 90s, and so, yes, I see that a lot of this stuff is coming back. And um, But, you know, in the 90s, though, that was the introduction of kind of that open floor plan, right? Yeah. Um, We saw uh, that really emerge. And are people kind of continuing that, or are we clamping back down and going back to what you see in the 90s? So I've paid a lot of attention to uh, the last few parade homes in St. George, Utah. There's a parade in February. It's kind of like the kickoff of parades in Utah. And then the next one just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. It's the Utah Valley Parade. So when I went through those homes, I started looking for things that those people that built those homes thought were going to be the next trends or things like that. And what I noticed was A lot of people going back to double islands. We did that in our home in 2008, and then I saw it disappear by 2010, and people went with large single islands. We've seen things like freestanding clawfoot tubs, giant pantry scullery spaces, like secondary kitchen areas. Those have all kind of taken off in the last few years, but the double island I saw come back so far in this year's two parades quite a bit. And the other thing I've noticed gradually coming back that I haven't seen since the early 90s is gold fixtures. And I always thought of my grandma and grandpa when I see those, but we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff coming back. To answer your question about floor plan layouts, those items that I just mentioned are more decorative items, except for the scullery. That's kind of a floor plan item. But I haven't seen people going away from the open floor plan. People still want to gather in large groups in the kitchen, dining, and family room space. And so generally, we're still seeing that. The only difference is how they interpret using that space. So with our clients, we usually show four popular layouts for those great rooms. One of them is called the square, one's the rectangle, one's the L, and the other one's a T. 
And so if you can imagine with me the rectangle laid out horizontally, if you think of like the game Tetris, you've got a long, skinny, negative-looking symbol, right? It's a rectangle laying on its side. You put the kitchen at one end with a U-shaped cabinet layout and then an island in the middle. It gives you a lot of cabinets, gives you a nice island. On the opposite side of the rectangle is the great room, and sandwiched in between is the dining room. And a lot of people like this layout because they can put a kitchen sink with a window that views out to the backyard and they get a lot of kitchen cabinets. What they don't like is that the dining room's sandwiched in the middle of that. So those people will end up choosing a great room that's more of an L shape. And so if you think of a, a letter L, the kitchen would be in the bottom corner of that L. The dining room would be to the top and the great room would be to the the other side, let's say the right side of that L. And people love this layout because it separates those three spaces while at the same time keeping them in one room. They don't like that layout because they end up having to put the sink in the island and they lose about 30% of their cabinets. Now the third one is the square and if they like the L shape they'll bump that bottom part of the L up to make that L look like a square now. And if they want the best of everything, they'll do the T, which gives them the rectangle-shaped kitchen off to one side, the dining room bumped out to the top or the bottom, forming the leg of the T, and then the other part of the T continues across from the kitchen, and it leaves you a flex space in the middle. So those four great room layouts are really open-spaced, and we haven't seen anybody change that, with few exceptions, in the last 20 years. It's been pretty predominant. Jamie, you used an interesting word there as far as change, because one thing that I've noticed as far as especially the uh, the northern Utah market since we've been there is there really has been a psychological change when it comes to the design or I should say preferred design of some of these mountain homes. I mean, not that long ago, people wanted the the heavy stone, the heavy timber look, and they truly called it rustic mountain. And now it seems like every time we're talking to someone who wants to build a, a getaway, a vacation home, they want it to be what they're calling modern or contemporary mountain, which is sleek, steel, cleaner looks, lighter colors, and that type of thing. And so talk a little bit about the psychology behind that change, why it happened, and, and how long do you think it might be before that pendulum swings back? It's interesting how sometimes people see something they like and they, they go after that. I've seen the modern sleek lines around for decades. Uh, the mountain side of that, I think, is driven by things like events, life events, like maybe families go on vacation to Park City or Sun Valley, Steamboat Springs, places like that. And those areas that get a lot of snow tend to try to simplify the drainage and they'll do one-way slope shed roofs and when you get into those higher elevations like that I think that drives smart design a little bit more where the architect and the builder get together and say hey I don't want to have an issue down the road so I'm going to solve some of these drainage issues with high snow loads and simplify those roof lines and you know they do it in a right correct way people are attracted to things that look good.
Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home. I know that there are a lot of um, principles that people kind of bring in whenever they're trying to create a uh, more comfortable space or, you know, a, a more zen-like space. I know we saw a lot of that in the 1970s and 80s, and feng shui is kind of circled back around, too. Do you ever work with clients that design their homes based on some of those principles as well? Oh, yeah. We get spiritual a lot of times. <laughs> we had a client one time. Actually, it was not our client. I heard about it for, through a fellow builder friend of mine, and he said they actually went out on the job site before they broke the ground and they had a prayer circle and did some some offerings to the land gods or something like that. And they, they really put a lot of thought into how things lay out. I think the biggest thing I hear clients talk about with referring to feng shui is how the sun enters their home and how light is affected and also how travel patterns work with regard to stairways and hallways and space like that. So I think it is a very important part of a home is how it flows and we've given it names like feng shui and things like that. But I think everybody to a certain extent wants their home to feel natural and that it flows and is welcoming and not forced. So we spend a lot of time focusing on different aspects like that at, at Walker Home Design. One is what we touched on earlier, homes that are economical to build, so you're not wasting materials. Number two, homes that are functional to live in, and that's kind of like what we're talking about now with the flow and the usable space, minimizing hallways. Number three is aesthetics, so that your home is attractive to look at, which we kind of hinted on a few minutes ago with the different styles on the exterior. Uh, but those three things are very important to make a home a world-class houseplant. Well, and I've even heard of um, certain people choosing a home site because of the flow. Um, you know, certain people won't live in a cul-de-sac because it's, you know, the, the chi gets stuck in a cul-de-sac and things like that. Have you ever um, experienced anything like that where you've had to design around something similar to that? Oh, yes. I could go on for hours talking about some of the tricky situations. In general, though, I would say right now, especially in the Salt Lake Valley, land is becoming harder and harder to find. And so what we've noticed is people are buying land that is the last lot in the subdivision or the last lot in a development that was created 30 years ago. And this is the, the one piece of land nobody could figure out how to put a house on. It might be on a 40% slope and it has height restrictions. We're seeing a lot more pieces of property that are not just simple flat rectangles anymore. And it compounds the problem solving of a simple two-dimensional problem and going into more of a 3D geometric shaped problem, especially with codes on height restrictions, easements, setbacks, lot coverage codes, where cities will only let you build on 20% of your lot or 30%. 
those become a lot of moving parts. Now throw into that the social issues or the marriage counseling of a couple that can't agree on what they want, <laughs> or they they show the the architect a picture of a two-story house and everything they love about it, but they tell the architect they want a rambler. I mean, that it becomes a very tricky problem to solve. And we also know that selections and finishes, the interior finishes, actually exterior as well, yeah. can really affect the, um, the comfort of a home as well. Absolutely. I tell people when I teach my classes, especially couples, I teach a class called Build a House, Keep Your Spouse. <laughs> And uh, it's all about communication and understanding how to pick your battles. Anytime you do a project like this and you're involved with two different humans, you've got to understand there's compromise. Tell us a little bit more about this class. Where do you teach it? How many classes? Tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the subject of it. I've kind of been teaching for about 10 years at home and garden shows here in Salt Lake and at the International Builders Show. The one at the International Builder Show is mostly focused on how to design better and build better homes, more efficient, cost-saving, smarter design, stuff like that. The ones here at the Salt Lake, they actually asked me to teach quite a few classes. So the Build a House, Keep Your Spouse is directed towards homeowners and how to communicate during a project and how to learn from actually a lot of my mistakes. A lot of these classes are things I've learned the hard way. I've built two custom homes for myself. I've designed over 4,000 new construction and remodel homes, multifamily projects, things like that. And some of the ones I've done for myself, I thought I knew exactly how to make it work and things didn't work out. So I've got a lot of funny and sad stories. <laughs> I usually teach those uh, three times a year at the Salt Lake Home and Garden Shows. And then we've recorded quite a few of them. So they're on our YouTube channel at Walker Home Design on YouTube. And I think there might even be some clips of some of it. I've tried to break them into little five-minute segments. One day I hope to grow up and have my own podcast where I do some of this stuff too. <laughs> well, we will definitely link to those YouTube videos and, you know, maybe even start pushing them out to all of our clients. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Um, one of the things that we've noticed recently as well is the use of mixed materials and more natural materials. And that seems to be really a trend. I mean, I can remember a couple of years ago when the white cabinets were, you almost didn't want a wood grain in those. And so it seems like there's, it's the complete opposite now. And um, could you tell me a little bit about why you think we're seeing that? Well, again, I think we get influences from different locations. I think the world has gotten a lot smaller now. People can travel really well, pre-COVID, and they can travel pretty easy all around and people get ideas and somebody sees something at a parade or in a model home or on a, a YouTube video or a Instagram or a TikTok and they get ideas and we spread like wildfire different ideas that we get. And so I think it just takes a couple things to catch on and people go, you know, the term is viral, right? So if you see something in a parade home or in a, a model home back in North Carolina and you fly back to Denver or Salt Lake and you happen to be building a house and you throw that in there and you put your house in a parade, 30,000 people come through that house. And if it's something that a lot of people like, you'll start to see that trend rolling. We started seeing uh, ancient modern type homes that were basically painted brick with steep roof pitches 
and the painted brick w was usually painted white and it kind of spun off from the farmhouse type styles and so we just kind of see that thing snowball from a few ideas like that but usually it's parades or model homes that that set the tone for that you know jamie the the key word that both you and melody use there though is trend how do you know if something is going to be a trend which is what you want to avoid and how do you know if, if something is truly going to be timeless and something that you do want to include in your build well i like to look at history books or pictures of things and i don't know if there might be a perfect science behind it but i, I don't know if i'm smart enough to figure that out but i know that yellow and mustard colored refrigerators were a trend because they disappeared after a while. You, you forgot that about the orange and green shag carpet too. I show some of those pictures in some of my classes to be careful of those. I honestly, if I had to use my crystal ball, I would say things like freestanding tubs. I think those are trendy. I think as I've talked to people that have bought those, it's rare that people use them and they're more for an architectural design feature. And with how expensive they are, I think people are going to, I think people are going to give up on those after a while. We saw the same thing with brown stucco, copper downspouts and chains. Uh, usually it's decorative features that become trends like that. Like when people, I suggest to them to, to try to do something more timeless, you know, after five or 10 years, if, if it's going to withstand the test of time, like Frank Lloyd Wright came up with the prairie style house and he had certain things that he did on that that make it stand out and stand the test of time and sometimes i'll see a, a cheaper builder try to mimic that but they take away the features that made it timeless and so it kind of looks stripped down roof overhangs for example on a prairie style they really need to be anywhere from two feet to four feet of an overhang but on a general track type home, most builders will do a one foot overhang on an eave just to save cost on their trusses and their soffit and uh, fascia costs and things like that. But when you start cutting away from the, the bones of what a design was, you hurt that and make it more of a trend or something that's going to die off and not stand the test of time. So how do you determine what those things are? I mean, would your architects be your resource to kind of figure out where you want to prioritize um, maybe spending a little bit more money or, um, you know, say on the overhangs or how would you make that determination? So the first thing is always find out what the goals are with the client and what their budget is. And there are ways to kind of fake it without giving up on the, the true timelessness of a design. Photographs are one of the best ways to communicate. So I'm not trying to guess at what a client likes. I like to have them show me five or 10 pictures of homes they like the style of and the look of, and then write a sentence about each one of those pictures so that I know what they're looking at in the picture. Uh, before, I used to tell clients, send me a picture of stuff that you like without a, a description. And they would send me these pictures, and I would look at it, and I would say, oh, that's great-looking stone. But then when we would sit down and start to look at the picture with the client, the client's like, oh, I wasn't looking at the stone. I was looking at the windows. And so communicating through pictures is, I think, a great way to start. And then back to the history books, you know, if people want something timeless, look at some of the stuff that's been designed 50 to 100 years ago 
and what people still like about, you know, plantation style homes or farmhouse or modern, things like that. And if you can build your house and then people don't know what year it was built, that's a good way to know if that's a timeless house or not. This podcast is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design, and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella Integrated Roll Screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration. Allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley. I'm a big fan of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. As a matter of fact, the personal home I live in was styled after that to some extent. But then you had mentioned that that you know some of the more production type builders, which are the builders that need to build you know cheaper homes and and more quickly, will kind of replace or or take you know some of the bones out of that design and then call it something different. Maybe you head more toward the prairie style. How do you feel as someone who really is a, is kind of a student of architecture and and really has has dived into the history of it over the past. How do you feel when you see changes to like a Frank Lloyd Wright style and, and they're taking it into a different direction and, and calling it something a little bit different? I'm not that much of a hard nose about following everything to a T, but if I'm, I mean, I'm a business owner. So at the end of the day, as a business owner, you have to, you have to be profitable. And so you have to look at ways that you can get the bang for your buck but also make the client happy and try to accomplish a lot of different goals. At the end of the day, the client's going to decide whether they want your product or your competitors based on what you're both doing. And so it's marketing and showing the value of that and also picking and choosing what areas to maybe save on versus where you want to spend money on. And I'll give you an example about eight years ago, we, we did a parade home that was a prairie style, and it was a great looking house. It's actually got two or three relatives on our website now that we've evolved from, but this home had a ton of reaction from the, the Salt Lake area, and we had our website spiked during this parade of people loving this house. The builder had it under contract three or four times during that two-week period and never closed the deal. And the reason why was because we had a really nice 3D rendering of how the house was supposed to be built. And the builder decided to save, I think it was $5,000 by eliminating a chimney and changing the front entry post from 18 inches square to four by fours. And once people saw what it looked like on our website, they lost faith in that builder and they ended up buying the plan from us and hiring a different builder. And so clients or prospective customers are going to be looking and getting excited about things and then making sure they're getting, you know, they'll get, they're going to know in their heart if that's the look that they want and they're going to gravitate towards the best 
value with that. And I think if he would have put those two things on there, he would have had that thing sold and there probably would have been a bidding war. And he ended up having it for about a year before he, he eventually sold it. So really, it's, you know, is it really worth the $5,000 to to cut off <laughs> some of these features, right? It just depends on the market you're in and what that market will bear. And what we're seeing with, back to your original question about cost and rates and things like that, we've seen a lot of cash buyers, which are the higher end market, they're they're still plugging forward with their plans and and moving along it's the tricky part is the higher rates are driving some of these more medium market buyers to rethink things and either remodel or put things on hold but i have heard gas prices are on their way back down i don't know how much down but we're doing a, a home for a client right now that owns one of the main gas company gas stations here in utah and he says he's starting to see things drop down quite a bit so i'm cautiously optimistic that'll drive a lot of stuff back down. We've definitely seen that and just kind of bringing your your comment full circle about a lot of cash buyers because I think what happens in an in a environment in which we're we find ourselves in when the stock market is going down, people are looking for safe investments and real estate over the years has been proven to be safe. So a lot of times people are putting their money into real estate, into cars. And so I definitely echo what you're saying. We're seeing a lot more of that as well. People who are putting more cash into their deals right now. Jamie, you have so many joyful designs too. Um, I know that you've done some great kids rooms. I mean, there's just so much happy on your website. So um, we really, is there any one design that you would point everybody to as we kind of wrap things up that you think is, you know, the, the example of a happy home design? I think we have over 900. It's hard to remember them all, but we always try to modify and improve. And I, when you say happy, the two plans, I'll give you two. I'll give you a Rambler and a two-story. The Winchester plan is probably my favorite Rambler style. So ranch, there's eight different exterior styles of it. It's 20, right around 2,500 square feet. The cool thing about it is there are eight different exteriors. You've got prairie, modern, Craftsman, farmhouse, ancient modern, mountain rustic, and I can't remember the other two. But that is a cool house that we were able to get all different styles on it for that one floor plan. What's it called again? And then that one's the Winchester. The Winchester, okay. And the other plan that I really like a lot of is called the Newgate. And it's about the fourth different version of the one I told you about earlier with the prairie style. And it's got four or five different exteriors. The Newgate's about a 2,800 to 3,000 square foot two-story with a master on the main. And I really, I have a special place in my heart for two-stories just because you can do a lot more with how the outside looks on a two-story. You got a lot of different plate heights and you can make the roof do different things. And so that's probably my favorite two-story. And these are pretty efficient to build, pretty nice layouts. I think those would be my two happy places. <laughs> so there you are, the Winchester and the Newgate. We will absolutely, positively link you to Jamie's website in our show notes. So make sure you visit him. Check out his YouTube channel for some of his uh, tips on, on how to successfully build a home with your, uh, with your partner. And Jamie, we can't thank you enough for always taking the time to visit with us. You have great information. You're a joy to have on the podcast. And uh, just, you know, we just want to say thank you. Well, I appreciate you considering me because uh, there's a lot of professionals out there in the world, and I feel like I'm a little guy 
So uh, it's fun to talk to you guys. I really appreciate it. You're a little guy who has a lot of great information, and we thoroughly enjoy talking with you. Melody, I always thoroughly enjoy talking with Jamie. Here's my takeaway that, that really I hadn't thought about, but it makes all the sense in the world. We were talking about the difference between trends and things that become more timeless. And he had a great idea of going back in picture books for, for homes and buildings that have been built 40, 50, 60 years ago. And he said, if you're seeing some of those same design, I guess, elements, those are not trends. Those are timeless. And I thought that was such a cool way to look at this, because if you do take, take some of these pictures into your architect when you're building or designing your dream home, that's a great way to begin the conversation and help the architect understand what is your style, what is your goal, and you know, a picture is truly worth a thousand words, especially when it comes to your dream home. Well, and I think it was interesting how he talked about, you know, just the different ideas you get from going to different markets, going on vacations and pulling those elements into your home as well. You know, um, I feel like your house has that Utah influence. You guys spent mm -hmm. so much time up there and you go in and it does it has that rustic Utah feel to it. And you brought that into your home in St. Louis. And so I'd never really thought about how much that can have an impact. So, And that's our happy home. And that's why I thoroughly enjoy spending as much time as possible there. Even we, uh, we recently put in a swimming pool and we tried to do the same thing. We were very purposeful and intentional as far as the design, the colors, the landscaping, the patio, everything that went around it. And, you know, we just love the mountains. We love, you know, water. It really was one of the, the most important elements as far as what we were doing. And I just encourage people, if you're going to build your dream home, think about all of that as well and, and be very purposeful about what you're doing and how you're communicating with your architect and builder. Well, and we're going to put our dream home design worksheet up on the website. This is a tool that we give to all of our clients at the very beginning. It helps you think through some of the nuts and bolts, but as well as some of the dreams that you have for your space. And um, I really encourage you guys to download it, take it to your builder and talk to them about some of these um, influences and where that came from. You know, not just, oh, we want this, but explaining why. I thought that was a great tip from Jamie, too. Yeah, it was really good. And just a reminder, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Jamie um, has some great information on his website. So we're going to make sure we link you to not only the website, but some of the other information that we talked about uh, during our interview with Jamie. And then coming up, Melody, we have a couple of shows down the road that are going to be very interesting. We all know that uh, mortgage rates are on the rise right now. And a lot of people are scared about that. They don't know what to do. They don't know whether to build, whether not to build. Um, so we have Jeff Berger from Groundwork Mortgage. The reason I wanted Jeff on is because I happened, I'm Facebook friends with Jeff and happened to watch a really cool video that he shot recently that does a very good job of explaining interest rates, historically where they've been, where we're going, whether you should build now. Um, so some of the ins and the outs. So Jeff's going to be really good. And then another subject that you and I talked about before is whether or not we should have a realtor involved if you're building a custom home. And so we have one of our go-to realtors in the, in the St. Louis area, Alicia Kopp, who's going to join us as well over the next few weeks. And we're going to talk about that relationship between a realtor, the client, and a builder, and what you might want to know about that. So we have some interesting shows coming up over the next month or so. And if you are listening to this before July 18th or 21st, <laughs> um, check out our Facebook page because you can actually join us live 
for those events. What we're, we're going to record that and bring it to the podcast. But if you have specific questions that maybe you'd like touched on, you can either leave that in the Facebook event page or you can join us on the live event and ask them while we're recording. So, And uh, that reminds me, we love hearing from our listeners. You don't even have to you know, be in, in either of the markets in which we build because we like to be a resource. We want to help you, whether it's finding another builder, whether it's answering questions. So don't be afraid to reach out and, and uh, whether it's on our, our, you know, get our information from our webpage or Facebook or whatever, but reach out to us. Melody and I love to interact with our listeners. And we will see you next time. For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound with original music by Adam Frick-Ferdine. Thanks for listening.